Merry Christmas. It is so very, very good to see each one of you. Some of you have some amazing sweaters on. Not going to make any comments. Some of you are here, well, because your family goes here. So we have many new faces, and I just want to say I'm so glad that you chose to spend your Christmas with us here at Cross Point. We meet every week here to hear and to learn about God. We're a group of people, a very normal group of people, that actually uh, come together and recognize that life is hard. It is. We never know what to expect. We never know whether it's going to be snowing, especially here in Chicago, or it's going to be 60 degrees. And so we look at life circumstances just a little bit differently. But today, we complete our Christmas series called Visitations. And what we've noticed over these past few weeks is that people who visit us change us. Now, some of you have come and you're living with relatives at this moment, and hopefully this is a good thing, all right? But you may overstay your welcome because things change. There's more people using the bathroom. There's more people around the meals. There's more people fighting on which football game to actually watch. Okay, the word fighting probably shouldn't be used in church. But you have some strong, well, opinions on things. So, so things just change. In our scriptures, we've noticed that the angels, when they visited Mary and Joseph, their lives changed. We saw when God literally visited Bethlehem, our world was changed. And last week, we saw when the shepherds visited Jesus, their future was changed. Today, Mary and Joseph visit the temple. Now, I wonder what all this means. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity we have just to come into your presence, that we can just talk and you can hear us. And we ask during this time, during this season, that we focus on your birth, your coming, that we wouldn't be so distracted. Lord, that's what happens, is sometimes the important just gets pushed out a little bit by the urgent. And so we ask, in spite of all of our plans, or in spite of all the things that we've done preparing for these next few days, that we would be able to sit back and bask in your presence, that we would hear from you today, God. I also pray for some other churches in the area, Lord. I think especially of Grace Point Church and Pastor John. And I pray, Father, you give him strength and wisdom and, and that he would proclaim the gospel clearly. I also want to pray, Father, for our mega brothers and sisters. I think of Willow and I think of Harvest and I think of the chapel. And God, I know that these churches have unbelievable outreach opportunities during this season. They are able to minister to thousands of people that perhaps have never, ever heard the good news. And I pray, Father, for all those sessions and for all the activities that happen at these churches, that you would bring yourself honor and glory. 
In fact, Father, every church that is proclaiming your word today and worshiping you, we pray, dear God, that you would do an amazing thing, that your presence would be so very, very apparent. Today, Lord, open our eyes right here at Crosspoint. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Sharon to read from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there, Luke chapter 2. If you don't have one, we'll have the words up on the screen for you, starting in verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, in all the scriptures is relatively a short amount of words that really talk about Christmas or Christ's advent or the birth of Jesus. Actually, just a few short chapters, four of them. And yet, as we look at this important um, event in all of history, we see that there are certain things that are focused on. You know, as I look at these verses... I ask the question, why talk about this? Why these words? It doesn't seem to be too critical for the whole story. And I tell you, I think what actually has happened is that Luke, the doctor who wrote this book and the book of Acts, he wanted to make sure that we understood that Mary and Joseph were godly parents. Now, let me just remind you, especially if some of you are unfamiliar a little bit with the Bible, but the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all discipleship manuals. They're all written with different perspectives in mind. And Dr. Luke had this idea that he wanted to introduce Jesus, but he wanted to do it slowly and spend chapters and chapters about his life and help us understand that he was Messiah and Savior and Lord. Some of us have been studying the book of John on Sundays, and we'll continue that once we get into January. But the apostle John, he just kind of blurts everything out in the first chapter. He wants everybody to know that Jesus is Savior and Lord and King right away. So Luke is spreading this out a little bit, and Luke is trying to help us understand really not only who Jesus is, but what it literally means to follow Jesus. So what does godly look like here? Well, one of the things that jump out in this text is that they continue to be obedient. Mary and Joseph, as so many of you know, are just teenagers. Mary's probably 14 years old. Her life has been absolutely transformed and turned around. Joseph, probably not too much older than Mary, as they start this quest 
of being the son of God's parents. It's overwhelmed them from the very beginning, but, but they've listened and they've walked and, and they said, God, if you've given me this assignment, I'm assuming you're going to give me what it takes to accomplish this assignment. But we find out very quickly in this text, which is a little bit unusual, that they named their son Jesus. You wouldn't normally name a newly born Jewish boy a name that's different than the father or a name that's not part of the family. But the angel again had shared, name this baby Jesus. And they did that. Then they followed the required law. Literally, in this text, if you read through it, there are four times mentioned in this passage that Mary and Joseph listened to God and did whatever the law had told them to do. And in this case, on the eighth day, a male was going to be circumcised. It was a sign very early in the Hebrew faith that this was a sign that Well, the Hebrews were set apart, that they were God-fearers. It didn't mean everyone who was circumcised was a God-fearer. It was just a sign. It was a covenant. But then the Scriptures tell us that there was this purification offering. Again, we're a little bit unfamiliar with all this, but actually this is an offering for Mary. Once a woman gives birth to a baby, she needs to be purified. And the idea was that you would go to the temple, you would bring usually a lamb or a sheep and a bird. If you were extremely poor, you would bring two birds. Again, so very surprising. Mary and Joseph listen exactly about eight days after Jesus was born. They take the the trip from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem. They walk into this temple. Again, um, yes, she was young, and yes, she probably healed quickly, but she had to be sore. And she walks into the temple and does exactly what, well, the law has said, that God had prescribed to do before Jesus died on the cross and gave us a new relationship with him. Then they dedicated Jesus as the firstborn to God. All these things. You would think that Christmas, well, is busy for you guys. It was really busy for them. They probably could have had every excuse. Hey, wait a minute. We don't have a whole lot of money. Hey, traveling's going to be a little difficult this time. I mean, do we really need to dedicate Jesus? Do we need to make sure his name is Jesus? Do we need to do the purification stuff? Can't we kind of do this when we eventually get around to it? And these young teenagers said, no. We're going to listen to you, God. We know that that is absolutely critical in our lives. And we're going to do that. And they did. I'm going to ask Scott now to read verses 25 to 35 in Luke chapter 2. Scott, would you do that? Now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised me. I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon, we find here an older gentleman, but another example of a godly follower. You know, the scriptures tell us that he was religious and devout. And Luke, for us, defines what religious and devout looks like. And for most of us, we're probably not drawn to religious and devout. We have these pictures in our mind of some kind of religious freak that really can't enjoy life or live life to the fullest. But that's not Simeon. Righteous just simply means that he had his faith in the Almighty God. And God saw him differently as a result. Devout means he was basically committed to do whatever God had asked him to do. Simeon right here was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue. Now again, some of these prophecies were hundreds of years old. And if you recall at this time, the Romans were so oppressive. And the Hebrews or the Jews or the Israelis at this moment were just being squished. So just about every day, they would look up and wonder when God would send their Savior. When they would be rescued. We do know this, is that Simeon knew God's Word. Simeon knew the prophecies. And we also know this, he not only knew the Scriptures, but he had faith in God's Word. The Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit was literally active in his life. And as you read through Luke, again, this is just a side note, but Luke often emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. If you read in the book of Luke and you read in the book of Acts, you will see how Luke wants to make sure, Dr. Luke, that we understand how important the Holy Spirit is in the Christian life. It is not something that's supposed to be spooky. It's something that's supposed to be empowering. The Holy Spirit is someone who teaches us. The Holy Spirit is one who guides us. And for every believer, one who has accepted and received Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, which it blows you away. It's so cool. Well, the Scriptures tell us here that the Holy Spirit was active, that Simeon was listening, and that the Holy Spirit revealed some truth to him. We don't know how it was delivered. 
We don't know if it was a dream. We don't know if it was something audible. But Simeon had a special visit and said, you know, I want you to know, you guys have been looking for the Messiah. Before you die, Simeon, you are going to see the Messiah. We don't even know when he was told this, but my guess is it was rather early in his life. And so every day he would get up and he would probably wonder, is it today? Dude, do I get to see the Messiah today? I am so upset with all these Romans and all these rules. God, would you send us our king? And day after day, he wouldn't see the Messiah. Day after day, I'm sure he went to bed a little disappointed, wondering again, when? I I mean, you did tell me this, God. When are you going to send our Savior? We need to be rescued. The oppression is beyond belief. Well, the Scriptures do tell us this. The Spirit not only was active in his life, but led Simeon to the temple on a particular day. I don't know again how he did that. He prompted him. But, but every time God told Simeon to do something, this is so cool, he did it. And so if the Spirit nudged him and said, I'd like you to go to the temple. Now again, most of us might even picture a temple almost like our churches today. But the temple was this massive, massive structure. Blocks and blocks and blocks long. It was all enclosed. There were courts of the Gentiles and courts of the women. And there were the holy place and the holy of holy places. And it was just filled with activity most of the time. So even if God is nudging Simeon, saying, hey, I'd like you to go to the temple. It's great. Imagine walking right in. Okay, God. Today's the day. Is there going to be a chariot? Is there going to be? Like, how am I going to know all this? Where do I even find the dude? Help me here, God. There are a lot of people walking around. There are. He not only directed them to the temple, He directed them to the spot. And he directed them to the couple. And then something rather odd happened. Now again, I don't know, maybe we're a little bit more sensitive just because of our culture or our society. But if some old dude comes walking up to you here in church, And you have this beautiful little baby boy who's eight days old. He walks up to you and says, may I hold your baby? Now, right now, you're just kind of going, okay, hold my baby. Why do you want to hold my baby? And who are you and why? What kind of weirdo are you? You know? Maybe I'm putting too much into that, but... It was a little different. That's all. And so this man walks up to these strangers and asks to hold this baby. Oh, that was Simeon. Simeon took the child in his arms and began to praise God. 
I love this picture. Could we go to the next slide, please? Thank you. I love this picture. It is a picture of this older gentleman who is just overwhelmed with joy. To us, it's not a big deal. Okay, he's holding the baby. Let's, let's move on. But we didn't every single day wake up and say, Lord, where's my rescuer? Where is the Messiah? I got to believe this, is that he was guided there, but in the midst of his joy, he's going, really, God? <laughs> this is what we're planning on? Look at the couple that brought him in. They're poor. Look how young they are. We're putting all our eggs in this basket, God, really seriously. Wow. His obedience, praise God. Simeon's words, praise God. And out of the overflow of his heart, he said, God, you are faithful. You do what you promise. God, I didn't think you were going to do it, and I don't actually know all the details, but God, you told me the Messiah was going to come. You led me into this place. You brought me to this spot. And Simeon says, I have seen God's salvation. Literally, he is holding God's salvation plan. He is shouting out to everybody that God is providing salvation for all nations and that he's orchestrated this plan. Jesus is the light who illuminates God. Well, John the Apostle says that right in the very first chapter of John. Luke is a little slower in revealing this. Not worse. But he says this, he goes, hey, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. Jesus is literally the God billboard. Jesus reflects what your plan is for Israel. And that is that they reflect God to all the nations. And this is the gospel. The scriptures then say that Mary and Joseph are amazed. Now, I don't know if they're amazed because they just were taking it all in. If they were amazed just because this is starting to sink in. They've only, well, had a baby eight days. They didn't understand all the things that are happening, but this guy is over here and, and he's doing a happy dance because he's holding Jesus. Oh. Then Simeon is not finished yet. He literally blesses the parents. Now, oftentimes that's a little odd again for our culture, but it's not a bad thing, and we probably need to do it a little bit more often, is most of the time you only hear blessings at your funeral. Did you get that? You really don't hear the blessings at your funeral. Do you know that? Do you guys know that you're incapable of hearing Okay, just wondered. Some of you were sleeping for a second. Okay, but you know what? Way before you die, you need to hear the blessings. 
I think it's one of the greatest privileges that parents have is to keep blessing your kids. Keep sharing with them. Now, granted, I I know sometimes you want to, well, you know what you want to do. But realistically, how about it? How about if we keep blessing our kids? And Simeon knew this, and, and he wanted to bless them. And talking to Mary, he gave an odd blessing. That's what's a little weird here. In fact, really what he was saying, to kind of cut to the chase, is, hey, things are going to get pretty rough at times, Mary. Well, how do you call this a blessing? He does say this. He says, Jesus is going to be a sign. And again, it's not some kind of miracle, like we use the word sign in the Gospel of John. What he's saying, hey, it's going to be a billboard. Jesus, again, will be this big billboard pointing to God. People will see Jesus and understand who God is. Some will run from God, even oppose God because of Jesus. Isn't that hard to understand? The guy comes into a culture and literally brings hope with his message, brings peace wherever he goes, heals the lame, encourages people who are downhearted, receives those who have been cast away, And some people aren't drawn to him. They oppose him and God. Some will run to God, though, and some will experience joy because of him. And Jesus will expose the hearts of men and cause men to to think deeply. But here's a warning, and this is hard. He said, Mary, a sword will pierce your heart. Literally, what he's saying is, you will hate how Jesus will be treated. You know what? There's something about a mom's love. There is. There is something how moms nurture and protect. And we're talking about good moms. I'm sure every mom that is sitting in every one of these chairs, unbelievably great moms, But moms care about their kids. They would do anything for their kids. And if for some reason you saw your son treated the way that Jesus was treated, it would rip your heart out too. You see, blessings are a big deal. And this is a hard blessing. Now let's look at Anna. I'm going to ask Kara to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38, so you can follow along up on the board or in your Bibles. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Luke gives us another picture of what godly looks like. Anna, we find out, is a prophet. And the last example of what godly looks like. She was also at the temple. 
She lived at the temple. She had a hard life. We don't know a whole lot about her, but she lived at the temple for the, just about the time she became a widow. And she spent her time worshiping God by fasting and praying. Now, I'm pretty sure most of you are not jumping up and down. Whoa, I wish I could be like Anna. I wonder if we can build a few rooms even right here. I'm just going to spend my time fasting and worshiping you, God. This is an unbelievable experience for me. Now, again, it's so anti-our culture, but if you can understand that in this time frame, there were way different ways to be able to take care of some of the elderly. She basically decided, I'm going to serve others in the temple. Now, what I'd like you to do, if you could with me, I'd like you all to shut your eyes, just for a moment. And as you shut your eyes, I'd like to invite Anna to be a guest. This older woman. And what Anna did, as you keep your eyes shut, she's going to read a letter that she just wrote to her friend Esther. So at this moment, so grateful Anna could join us, she's going to read a letter to Esther. Dear Esther, it's hard to believe that I just celebrated my 105th birthday. I can clearly remember walking into the temple soon after Ezra had passed some 84 years ago. Even though my heart was broken, my spirit was strong. I didn't understand God's timing, and to be quite honest, I still don't. But I trusted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob then, and I still do today. God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful, yet I am puzzled. My limbs are stiffer now, and I seem to be moving slower each day, but my eyes are strong. I can clearly see that our world is a mess and only getting worse. The Romans are ruthless. The violence is everywhere. Injustice is escalating, and hope is eroding. When I was a little just a little girl, I was told that someday, someday, our Messiah would make things right. He would step into our mess and say, this is enough. The suffering will stop. I am here to make things right, to make them right now. When I was a girl, I believed that. I still believe it. I, I guess that's what keeps me, the prophets, in business, you know. Old women who don't stop believing. I think there are others now, more than ever, who want to believe. Every day, many people come to the temple to pray. They are praying and hoping that the Messiah would soon come. They join the caravan of simple folks who are trusting their God for deliverance. My old friend Simeon, who is filled with God's Spirit, is one of those folks who eagerly awaits the promised Messiah. He sits in the courtyard day after day, waiting waiting for, the, for Israel's king to rescue us. Simeon is hopeful, but he is also stubborn. 
I suppose I too am stubborn, so I will wait. Hope to see you soon, Anna. This older lady spending a lot of time in the temple ministering and caring well, but knew the Messiah was coming someday. She hadn't, at least we don't know, that she had the revelation that the Messiah was going to be around. I bet, though, Simeon wasn't quiet about his revelation. I bet he went around often and said, well, you know what? The Messiah is going to come. God revealed to me before I die, and as you can see, I am not dead. The Messiah may come today, may come today, may come today. And Anna, who was at the temple, began walking by Simeon and Mary and Joseph. Whoa, the lights came on. He knew that Simeon was blessing Jesus. And Anna began to praise God. You see, any time that God reveals himself, you experience God. One of the things that happens, you just begin to praise. You know, some of you are newer to our fellowship today. And, and yes, we sang one familiar Christmas carol. Maybe all the songs were familiar to you, but... But it maybe seemed a little odd. You saw people standing up and maybe even raising their hands and, and, and just praising God. Well, we're not here to check your performance or make sure that everybody does that. But what happens to some people is that they walk with God, as they experience God. There's an overflowing gratitude of who God is. And I love you. And I worship you, God. And I desire more than anything, God, that you receive honor and glory. I can't believe what you've done. You have expressed yourself to each one of us. I love you. I love you. I love you. And and this actually is what was happening to Anna. She believed the prophecy and she waited. Folks, we have a tough time waiting, okay? A real tough time waiting. Whether you're waiting at T-Mobile for your phone for three hours, or you can put in whatever you want to put in, we like to be treated immediately. If we could put on hold anywhere, we stomp our feet and tell everyone how important we are and walk out. We do. Anna waited at least 84 years. Maybe she thought Simeon was just a little bit ditzy, you know. Like, Simeon, are you really sure you heard about this little prophecy? Because I'm, I'm just not sure this is going to happen. And I mean, every day I come to the temple and nothing really changes. She was led by the Spirit to Jesus and it clicked. She saw the Messiah. She had walked with God, she knew God, she knew the scriptures, and she knew when Simeon's eyes were dancing that that was Jesus, the Messiah. Then the scriptures tell us she told everyone who had been expecting God to rescue Israel about Jesus. 
Now, as we're closing out the message for today, I did did have to ask just one question. Why include Anna in this? An 84-year-old or a hundred and some-year-old person, it doesn't seem, again, to be so significant. But what I want you to understand, again, is that, well, Luke is writing a discipling manual. And so many times, especially in this culture, women and children were put so down, down so far on the social economic scale. They were hardly even looked at as human beings. Kenneth Bailey, one of my favorite books, wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And it has helped me to understand so much of what Middle Eastern culture really looked like. But what's so cool about Luke is that he literally, all the way through his gospel, focuses on men and women. Unbelievable. In fact, one of the first descriptions of an ideal disciple is this 14-year-old girl named Mary. Now, to us, that's kind of unbelievable. But to a Jew, it is unthinkable. This is so upside down for Jews. Do do you get this? Why would you applaud a 14-year-old girl to follow Jesus? They know their roles. They understand what they're supposed to do. Don't build them up. But my guess is this, is that Luke learned how to treat women from the rabbi that he spent three years with. And that was Jesus. And that was good news, not only for them, but for us. And I just have a few takeaways. First of all, I love these three mini-stories because for me, they give me examples of what godly looks like. They're all at different stages. They all have different jobs. They're different life experiences. But they heard from God. They responded to God. They experienced God. And praise and joy erupted. You see, so many of us put our hands up. We don't want to know God. We don't want to follow God. If we do, we will turn into some religious freak. There'll be so many rules. We'll never have fun. I'll never get what I need. I'll never get what I want. I'll never be satisfied. Those are all lies. You see, Jesus came 2,000 years ago to give us abundant life, a life that's full, a life that's filled with meaning every single day. You see, this is a story of Christmas because God visited Bethlehem and changed a world. We've used this verse a few times, but it's a key verse in our series. For God so loved this world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will, shall have eternal Jesus came to be our Savior, to be our sacrifice, to reconnect each one of us to an Almighty God because all of us have sinned and separated us. So the good news or the gospel is God cares, God gives, and wants each one of you right here to respond. 
He would love each one of you to become a son or a daughter even today. And maybe each one here is. But my question is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the scriptures that you give each one of us so that we might not only get to know you, but we can focus on other men and women. Some really good examples and some really poor examples of following you. Lord, I'm sure it breaks your heart when we run when we choose to live our lives apart from you. I ask you, dear God, that you would give each one of us eyes, fresh eyes, to see you clearly. And Lord, even today, on this Christmas, or in this Christmas Eve day, that if we don't know you, that we would take that step of faith and receive you as Savior, as Lord, as King today. We are so grateful. We are so overwhelmed by your grace and your love for us. We just want to say thank you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.